Hey there, this is Dave Canise. I'm the creator and host of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I've spent the past 30 years deep inside the global innovation economy at the intersection of brand strategy, design, management consulting, venture capital, product, marketing, and executive recruiting, working with visionaries at hundreds of the world's great companies and the startups on the way to becoming tomorrow's most exciting ones. I've coached hundreds of leaders through job searches, personal branding, and the reinvention of their careers. One of the biggest things I've learned on my journey, products, brands, services, experiences, and technologies that become world-changing, life-changing, and industry-changing only make it from idea to reality because of agents of change. I call them agents of innovation. This podcast was created to introduce you to them. We'll explore their stories and their superpowers, and I hope they inspire you. Thanks for listening. And please reach out if I can help you. You can get me anytime at dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. That's dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. On to the show. Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Today's guests that I'm excited to welcome to the show are Manny Lubin and Josh Belinsky, the co-founders of Slate Milk. You can uh, find Slate Milk online at slatemilk.com and on all the socials at, at Slate Milk. So welcome, guys. Great to have you on. Thanks. Awesome to be here. Likewise, great to have you. Would love to start by kind of introducing uh, Slate Milk and have you guys explain what it is and, um, you know, a little bit about the benefits and features and um, things like that. So maybe Manny, you could take it. Yeah. So uh, Josh and I, uh, well, thanks again for having us, Dave. Um, it, it's funny, growing up, we were huge athletes and uh, just loved playing sports and actually loved drinking chocolate milk. So it's great to be on a, a sports focused podcast um, that also talks about innovation. But I mean, that's really where our story started is growing up, we loved chocolate milk. Um, we were lactose intolerant, but you know, we, we always say we could eat a slice of cheese pizza, but we won't pop like a balloon. Um, but into college, we both got into the fitness space, um, started drinking the, the artificial protein drinks. And then post-grad, we were in the startup tech space, which is where we met. And then we realized there was this white space in the chocolate milk market, kind of between the, the protein shakes, the artificial protein drinks, and the uh, kids' chocolate milks. So we just started Googling how to start a chocolate milk company um, because we wanted a high protein, low sugar one that we could drink after workouts. And in 2019, we launched what is now Slate, and it's a lower sugar, higher protein line of lactose-free chocolate milks. Um, they are in 100% recyclable aluminum cans. And uh, the version on the shelf right now that we actually just launched a few weeks ago has 20 grams of protein and zero grams of added sugar and is all natural. Um, and our goal is. I think we're going to get there later uh, later in the show, but our goal is to help give chocolate milk a clean slate um, and bring back this childhood favorite for everyone and anyone that wants to drink chocolate milk, whether it's after a workout or just every single day of their lives, because Josh and I were already drinking it every day, so we thought we might as well make it healthier for people like ourselves and other people that want to drink it every day. It's very, very smooth explanation. You'd think you're a startup founder or something like that, right? <laughs> really well done. We've, uh, we've told the story um, a few <laughs> just a few, just a few. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, chocolate milk's always been one of the best kept secrets of serious athletes and recovery has really turned into a pillar of athletes training right now, whether, you know, professional, amateur, or just very serious uh, weekend warrior type people, just as important as gear, 
workouts, nutrition, data, and analytics, right? But chocolate milk was always seen as a kid's drink, um, never really optimized around nutritional and recovery needs of a real athlete, right? Less sugar, more protein, carbs, electrolytes you guys have talked about. So, um, you know, some of the reviews that you've gotten are fascinating to me, like the Rolling Stone one, especially, you know, the decision to nos- nostalgically indulge is actually a solid adam- example of adulting. Yeah. Right? That's a <laughs> phenomenal quote to explain it. Um, what's Where have you guys found the sweet spot so far? Who's um, most excited when you talk with them? Who's been the kind of consumer um, who raves the most about Slate? Yeah, it, it's really been a wide range. Um, <clears throat> but what we we really target is what we call the active, the active millennial or healthy minded parent, right? So typically people that are fitness focused. And when we say that it doesn't matter how you exercise, what you look like, it's, it's just a healthy mindset. And it's people that typically exercise anywhere from one to four times a week. Um, It's people that are trying to avoid artificial ingredients that are looking to decrease sugar in their diets and increase protein. Um, And age, it's really varied. Right, we, we don't hyper target children like you mentioned, um, but it is people that are willing to pay a few extra pennies um, to drink something all natural and better for the for the planet. Very, very nice. I fit that profile exactly, and it's <laughs> been really interesting to see kind of friends, influencers, people I follow on social, uh, trainers, instructors, really start to pick up slate. A lot of the people that I see kind of taking the can selfie all the time are. Um, former college athletes that really played, you know, at a high standard D1, things like that, who were taught that chocolate milk is great for recovery, kind of better than, you know, the shakes and all the powders and things like that. Um, And better than, you know, all the sports drinks, kind of particularly the sugar loaded ones that you see right out there right now. Um, Where... Can people find Slate now? Where where are the retailers that um, are stocking it and pushing it and kind of succeeding with it the best? Yeah, so right now, uh, we we started off uh, locally. We really tried to focus, and and we still are very focused on the East Coast. So we're in um, Whole Foods all over New England um, and Roach Brothers. Those are kind of our two launch partners up here in the the Northeast. Um, But over the last two years, we've really started to progress and, and take over more of the East Coast. So most major retailers along the East Coast, you can find us um, as north, as the northern tip of Maine and Hannaford's, um, all the way down to uh, we rolled out last month with Publix. Um, a couple of other highlights, Market Basket locally, Big Y, um, Wegmans. And then as you kind of progress more south, we're now in all the Whole Foods in the greater New York area, um, down into the Carolinas with Harris Teeter, in the kind of Virginia area with Giants. So a lot of the to be honest, when we first started this, I had no idea any most of these grocery stores existed, uh, especially the ones outside of the East Coast. We're just saying names now that seem like if I say Harmons and Hagen, I bet a lot of people on the East Coast have no idea what I'm talking about. So uh, learned a lot in the last two years and have learned more about milk and the, how grocery stores work than I think uh, I ever wanted to know. But we love it and, and we live it and we bleed it. So it's uh, it's been it's been great. And so that's all on the retail side. Um, and then we're now now that a lot of gyms are opening and the world's opening back up a little bit. Um, we're going to be focusing on selling wit into a lot of CrossFit gyms. Um, we already are selling a lot of different gyms, but I think that it's only going to grow from there. Um, and then kind of your one off convenience stores and things like that are, are going to start to grow as well. Um, but the focus has been grocery so far. Um, and then now you can find us nationwide um, on our own website, on Amazon, 
And then uh, last month we launched with GoPuff. So uh, a great delivery platform that is open until I'm pretty sure 24 seven in major cities. So it's uh, another great way to, to just grab a can if you need it late night. That is an incredible list of distribution, kind of, you know, almost a fantasy roster for um, a CPG entrepreneur, right? You know, all the different food startups that I've come across over the last, you know, decade at least uh, would, you know, give their left arm to have that distribution within the first couple of years of starting. How did you guys break through? How did you kind of you know, get your first um, shelf space in some of these directional places. Like everyone wants to get into Whole Foods. Everyone wants to get into Wegmans. What have you found um, kind of the keys to success are for doing that? Uh, a mix of luck, uh, relentless, relentless hard work and following up <clears throat> and getting people that are smarter and more connected than us on the team. Uh, I would say is, is the three keys. Uh, when we first started, um, we did a Kickstarter. And Manny and I went back and forth and we can do a whole thing on Kickstarter. I think another five hours on that, but on, should we do this? And we ended up doing it. Um, we did Josh, about $50,000. <laughs> and it was a it's great, great decision. It was a I'm great, a great marketing. I was a backer. I remember. <laughs> yeah. You get your loyal fans. And, and from great. the Kickstarter, yeah. we actually had the North Atlantic president of Whole Foods reach out to us saying that um, she sees a lot of the same companies, a lot of, um, products that are, are mimicking other products in the market. And she thought we were unique. And so that's how we ended up getting into Whole Foods kind of from the top down, um, which was very lucky. But obviously, we had to put ourselves in the right in the right place to do so. Um, that's also how I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, Shark Tank. The casting producers from Shark Tank reached out to us from that Kickstarter as well. Um, so anyway, once we had that Whole Foods story, also our lead investor um, was the first sales broker for Chobani. And he helped build them really from early, early, early first yogurt cup days to um, nine and, and 10 figure business. Um, and he had a lot of relationships throughout the industry. And he was able to help introduce us to a couple of retail partners and kind of get those first ones on board. And then once you get those first ones on board, it's really on you to make it work. And for us, it's what all of the retailers care about is not only the presence that you have out there in the world, how many people know who you are, because if they put you on the shelf, they want to make sure people know who you are, but really, how are you turning in the stores? And so Manny and I had a mission of, let's not go everywhere too fast. We're going to focus on four retailers for the first year and be the number one item in our set, which we were very lucky and, and able to accomplish um, only with... We call it the, the buzz and boots model, where Manny and his team just build as much buzz as they humanly can, uh, mostly through social media and partnering with these athletes and influencers. And then we have a field team going into the stores, building displays, and really driving trial in a year that we couldn't do any demos. Um, and that really worked for us. And telling that story and having a model that we could replicate, um, was uh, as, as well as a differentiated product, is really what allowed us to expand into all these different retailers. It's really hard to create some energy at store level um, when you're wearing a mask and you can't drink a beverage yeah, yeah. in a store, right? And it's hard to get some energy going that way. What um, do retailers look at as your competitive set? You mentioned that a moment ago. Who do they view as kind of, you know, in that planogram next to you guys? Uh, we It depends on where we are in the store. I think the most similar product to us is a company that's owned by Coca-Cola called Fairlife. So they also are an ultra-filtered milk. They have less sugar and more protein. Um, now, they've completely they've educated the market. They are continuing to pour hundreds of millions of dollars into 
educating people on why they should be drinking a milk item. Um, but you know, they are owned by Coca-Cola and, and they, uh, they do unfortunately still have a lot more sugar than we do. And they also add artificial ingredients to their products and they're really targeting the kids and and the mothers for their children. There's a big cow in the front of the package. And so for us, we think that there's a, a big opportunity where they're targeting the kids with that. They also have a core power line, which is, you know, you're, you're only drinking that after a workout. That, that's not really an everyday thing. You're not going to sit down to a business meeting with core power sitting there on the table with you. So we believe that kind of slate falls right in the middle as a brand of Manny likes to call it uh, us an athleisure brand where we're not for kids. We're not for necessary bodybuilders, but your Lululemon yoga pants, you can wear to the, to the gym. You can also wear them around your house and that's where slate really fits in. So I think from a product perspective, it's fair life. But really where we see a lot of our success and what retailers are comparing us to is like we mentioned before the call, we're often just sold in these functional beverage coolers where we're next to RTD ready-to-drink coffees or next to ready-to-drink protein shakes or next to gut health like kombucha. And Slate is very additive to the stores. Um, Some consumers are buying a Slate or a kombucha, but a lot of consumers are buying both because they're going to have their kombucha with lunch or at some point during the day. And they might have Slate later in the day as a snack or as a post-workout. And so it's very complimentary versus just adding more skews of kombucha or adding more items of coffee that they're just going to cannibalize things that are already in the set. So one of the things um, I've noticed since the start with you guys, um, you know, the milk industry is doing a little bit of the heavy lifting on educating consumers about the benefits of chocolate milk, right? So you've got that. You've got an awareness of... Um, protein for recovery um, among serious athletes who might, you know, make a shake, might put whey protein in it, things like that. But you guys have actually um, kind of figured out something better than whey protein, right? Mandy, do you want to pick that yeah. one up? So I think that, uh, you know, growing up, or at least in college, we would scoop the uh, the powders into the, the, the lactose-free milk, we'd shake it up, and... You know, 45 grams of protein right there. We think that's what we need. And as time has progressed, I think we, a lot of people have realized they only need about 20 grams of protein post-workout. And there's a lot of studies coming out these days talking about casein protein. And so without getting uh, too scientific about it, too nerdy because I love nerding out about this stuff. But um, so whey and casein protein are the two proteins that are naturally found in milk. Milk is about 80% casein protein and 20% whey protein. And whey protein is less expensive to produce. And there are a lot of studies that do say that whey is better post-workout. But one of the reasons why we love milk itself, and so again, we're ultra-filtered milk because we're actually just removing some of the water from our milk. So we're not adding any any powders or anything like that. But one of the reasons we love milk is it's 80% casein, 20% whey. And casein actually makes you feel full for longer. So a lot of people that are using our products almost as like a bridge meal um, are, are feeling the effects of whether it's 3 p.m., whether it's breakfast. It's not like whey protein that they drink it and they're hungry an hour, two hours later. It's you're drinking a, a, a slate milk that only has 100 to 120 calories, and then you're staying full for longer. And I think that's an effect that people aren't yet realizing um, about our products. And we haven't pulled it out of the marketing yet, right? There are just so many, so many features of our products where lower sugar, higher protein, chocolate milk, in a can, shelf-stable, for adults. Like There are just so many things. Um, but as time goes on, we, we really think we're going to start to lean into the casein protein angle over the next two or three years. And, and we do think that there's going to be a little bit of a movement towards casein in the sports and fitness world. 
probably some um, powerful claims that you'll be able to make at some point with that as well, right? That'll be meaningful to that consumer. Um, you guys talked about Kickstarter a minute ago, and from the sounds of it, Kickstarter was almost you know a launch marketing mechanism. Um, it really sounds like a lot of buyers, retailers, influencers are kind of um, looking on Kickstarter and Indiegogo and the like, trying to find you know what's next and yeah. get there faster than others. What was your big learning off of Kickstarter and how it helped you guys you know essentially kickstart your business? Yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I, I joke with him. I joke with Josh all the time about this. Is he convinced me to do it, which is one hundred percent factual. Uh, I didn't think it was what's best for the business, but it was an it was a great decision. It was one of the what we'd say first dominoes, right? Like one domino for us usually knocks over three more, um, and especially quote unquote dominoes that are at that point just took our time. And I think that's one of the things that I look back and I think that we did well is we. We spent, we had all the time in the world at that point. And so we spent our time trying to advance the business. And if we swung and missed, then all it took was our time. And with Kickstarter, I think that's what uh, Josh's sell was, is if it doesn't go well, it's just our time, whatever. Um, but I think we, that was our first stamp of validation that people want this, not just us knuckleheads, right? Like people want a better for you chocolate milk. And you know, Josh's parents did buy probably $200 worth, but they didn't buy all 50 grand worth of, of pre-sales. Um, and I think that that for us was, was really the most we got out of it. Funds were great, but it was the, the validation that we could then take that story at that point where we had no sales to a potential retailer, to a potential investor and say, people want this stuff. Um, and that's why I think Kickstarter and Indiegogo are so powerful. Yeah, pre-tailing is a really important thing for investors, buyers, influencers, things like that. What did you do to succeed on Kickstarter? Did you have to send traffic there? Did traffic find you? How, like, there's a lot of stuff on there, and there's a bit of a art and a science of yeah. launching on Kickstarter. So we think there are kind of two paths you can go on Kickstarter. We've seen them both. One is, I, w I don't want to call it 100% organic because we did you know, build a buzz, but we didn't spend dollars. Right? We didn't spend dollars building a buzz. We wanted to actually put it out there and see how many people were interested in this. And the other path is uh, spend a ton of money on it and do six figures and then show, holy smokes, look at how many people want this. While really behind the scenes, you spend a lot of money on it. Both work. like Both have pros and cons. Uh, but for us, again, we wanted to take this organic path. Um, we set a, a goal that we thought was achievable. And then for success... We prepped a ton of media outlets. We prepped literally everyone we personally knew. We actually threw a party at the Bell in Hand in Boston. Um, and I think we did like five Gs at that party alone because we actually had people with menus. Like our friends had menus and were taking orders on the spot, like literally like waiters and waitresses. And you know, we had a, we, I think we had Kahlua sponsoring. We had Absolute sponsoring. So, you know, you get, get a little booze in people. They maybe order once, twice, three times. Um, and they're pre-ordering product and it worked and everyone had a great time and, and we really built the brand. And it, I think it was just exciting for, for friends and family to see what we had been working on behind the scenes for so long. Because uh, at that point, we'd been doing it for about a year and all we had to show for it, I think, was uh, Josh for my birthday bought me like a slate glass that said slate on it. Like we didn't have any like real swag or anything. We didn't have product samples that anyone could try. And this, so this was kind of like our, our coming out party. Um, so yeah, I think to, to be successful, it's prepping everything you can again with your time. And then there is that other path of spending a lot of dollars behind it. But I don't necessarily think that would have been the best path for us. I think the path we took was, was perfect.
And you guys heavily promoted through kind of your email list, your social channels, and really got friends and family heavily involved in, um, you know, helping generate some momentum there. Two big outcomes you mentioned, um, apart from, you know, the fun and the Kahlua, um, were Whole Foods and Shark Tank. So what happened with Shark Tank? Can you tell me about that experience, what that was like? Because everyone talks about, you know, getting on Shark Tank and what's going to happen there. Uh, So Shark Tank... We, we are still on a very long non-disclosure agreement in perpetuity, uh, but it was, I think that looking back on it, I mean, I'll let Josh talk about the experience on the show. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy experience, and, and we sat down. We said, is this what's best for sleep? Like Manny and Josh aside, is going on right now, knowing the valuation of our business because we had already raised capital, knowing we didn't have a final product, what the Sharks tried, never even made to the shelves because we just weren't there yet. We had uh, didn't have uh, an actual package, so we actually had to go to Staples out in LA and print out fake labels. And in hindsight, it's so funny now. In hindsight, we're like, man, we should have just gotten prototypes made at least, <laughs> like sample prototypes. We just didn't want to spend the money at the time. Um, but no, I mean, net net positive experience for us. If anyone saw the episode, it didn't go as planned. Uh, but we we got the brand out there, and we it drove sales, it drove awareness, and we 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 used the momentum from the show um, to really help us get into retailers. I think it was a big key that it did uh, that it helped with. But also, it's just building the story, right? And just people hearing Kickstarter, Shark Tank, to three thousand doors and twenty five employees. It's just like people want to be a part of it. Um, and I think that it's also helped us get some employees on our team. And just knowing that, like, we came from that. It didn't go as planned, but we've come a long way. I think it's cool to, to look at it and look look at where we are now. And look, a long way to go. Um, we're still very early, but uh, it's cool to see the progress. Yeah, Is there a the negative? Great for the brand. Yeah, seriously. You guys have been on ABC Network TV, <laughs> if people watch yeah. Network TV anymore. Is there a negative to being on Shark Tank? Everybody always asks that question when you get um, startups that have the option to go on there. And they always say, should we do this or not? I think the only potential negative is the amount of time that it takes. I think it, it takes a lot more time than, than people think. Um, there's a, a lot, even though we were lucky enough to have the casting producer to come to us. I know that if you go through the traditional application process, there's a lot more hours you're spending on it than, than we even had to. But even so, we put hours and hours into it, um, into the different um, actual legal stuff, the application, the, you know, you're flying out there and, and you're spending more than just those actually more than seven minutes you're in there for a lot longer than that which i think most people know um and if anything if you're in the middle of i think if we were going to do it today it would be very challenging to continue to run our business and and fly out and and put everything on pause just to handle shark tank we would make it work Um, but that that is the only real downside i we personally don't think even if it went 10 times worse than it did Getting the brand out there is so important, and you know what, what's the worst thing going to happen? You, like Manny said, right before we walked out, we don't really get nervous with public speaking. We were both our legs were shaking before we walked in there. He's like, "What's the worst thing that happens? We puke on our shoes, and it's on national TV as the kids who puked on Shark Tank, right?" So it really, for us, uh, we we didn't see much downside, and that's why we did it. Which sharks were on with you guys? We had Mark, Barbara. Mr. Wonderful, Lori, and Rohan. So Rohan was the guest shark, um, and we worked with our producers to to see if we could get him on our on our rotation. We got lucky, uh, and he is a, he's a beverage guy. I mean, he was early on with uh, Vitamin Water. He helped with Buy um, and a lot of other food and bev brands out there. He's now a partner at Kavu, 
um, who does a lot of CPG. And so we, we've kept in touch with their team in general, and um, we have a lot of respect for what they've done. And he gave us great feedback. You know, there's, unfortunately, the way it was edited, I think it was, it was somewhat skewed negatively, uh, but there was definitely a lot of really great conversation between us and all the sharks. Um, and I think some really positive things that we took away from it that we implemented into our strategy going forward. You guys talked about really having to deliberate over the decision to um, go on Shark Tank as well as go on Kickstarter, right? A lot of discussion, a lot of time, a lot of thought went into it. Were there things, other big opportunities like that that you guys chose to turn down that you can talk about? It's a good question. Uh, I'd say there are. I think that we've had... Those were definitely two large ones where, again, it only took our time. And I think it's funny. I think a lot of times we think about in the future, what, which path will we regret less if it doesn't go as planned? And I think that if we can't make a decision, that's really how we think, right? Because I think there's a lot that can potentially go wrong with a lot of these decisions. Um, but you look at the worst case scenario and of that path, and then you look at the other path, and if the worst case scenario happens in both paths, like which will you regret less um, is a lot of times how we break it down. But I think a lot of big ones have been potential retail partners that would potentially do large dollars. But we know that if it does not go as planned, the amount of time and money that would go into it would, I mean, it wouldn't destroy us, but it would just really, really handicap the business. And I think those are some of the big ones where maybe it's a, a partner in actually early on a partner in potentially the sports channel, the sports nutrition channel that has a lot of stores um, that it was very hard for us to say no. Um, and again, it's it's not like a hard no. It's, you know, let's, let's circle back. But the dollars that would have come from the first order were very exciting. But it's just not what's best for the business. It's just not. Um, I, I, Josh, any others that you could think of? No, no. I think that that's a... It's one that comes to mind. Good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, the large retailers that are going to give you potential nine or not nine figures, seven figure POs, and uh, we've had to say no to a lot of them because, again, it's our strategy has been to focus, be the number one selling item. If we went national with places all over the country, there's no way we people every we couldn't support it with the marketing and the field team unless we want to go raise fifty million dollars tomorrow. Uh, which is just not part of our strategy right now. Um, so we we're kind of building it one section of the country at a time, and uh, I, I think that that's something we've done well. Is it, just stay focused. I love that um, you know not only focus but deliberate approach to things. One of the consistent themes I've heard from um, successful entrepreneurs through the years, and particularly on this podcast itself, um, is the art of saying no. And kind of the art of prioritization and really figuring those things out seems to be a massive key to success for early stage companies. You mentioned um, venture a minute ago and kind of raising venture capital. What's your approach there? What are you guys looking to do? So early on, um, my in my past life, I was lucky to to be behind a a couple of of folks that um, I think you're you're talking to one of them. I think that. Uh, Chase is probably the best fundraiser I've ever met. And I definitely just watching him over the years, I think learned a lot about just fundraising in general. Um, as a CPG item, Manny and I took the approach of really going after strategic angels as much as we could uh, and just networking that way and just kind of meeting others. A lot of our investors come from the world of CPG 
um, and have been a part of brands like Chobani, Yasso Frozen Greek Yogurt, Halo Top. So you get kind of those better for you dairy items. And then some of the local companies like Stacy's Pita Chips and Food Should Taste Good and some of those successful snack brands out there. And Manny and I joke that we can bring all the hustle and the energy, but there's a lot that we just don't know. We're not food entrepreneurs. We didn't grow up on dairy farms. And we are constantly leaning on these people to educate us on on what the hell is going on in the world and how we handle retailer conversations and things like that. So our strategy so far has been purely individuals and angels to actually add value. And then our cap table is big. Uh, you know, we didn't take a million dollars from five people total and call it a day. Uh, we have chosen to take the path of if somebody can add value, whether they're even if they're not a food person, um, those circles grow. And you know, we have people in healthcare that happen to know somebody who knows somebody, and then they're a huge value add to the brand. And so we've we've been willing to kind of expand that network as we've grown, and then um, just now starting to really have some of those early fund conversations. Uh, River Park Ventures in New York came in on the last round. Uh, we really a- appreciate them as a fund, and they've been amazing to us. They were early on in Spindrift, another local Boston company, and they've been able to make a lot of great introductions and guidance in that way. And um, you know, I, I think sometimes the the word VC is very scary and can uh, be something that people dread getting into that game. But people like River Park are the types of funds that that we were excited to partner with, and we just they act exactly like every other angel. So there's no difference to us. So you guys mentioned three more keys to success right in that um, bit right there. So one is uh, don't just raise money, uh, raise smart money, right? If you've got a good idea, raising the money is not going to be the problem. But if you can get smart money behind you, it's going to make a huge amount of difference. Um, another one in kind of know what you don't know. Right. And kind of start with a beginner's mind and an open mind and, you know, don't be arrogant about it. Um, that's another thing I've seen consistently. Um, and the third one there is uh, follow what Chase Garbarino from HQO does. Right. And Greg Gomer. Right. Those guys um, have done a phenomenal job with uh, what they're doing now and with Boston or before it. So I'm excited to have him on next. Um, but, you know, you guys talk about the Boston entrepreneurship and startup scene. Um, and there's a lot happening there. Um, you guys are, you know, in Boston, based in Boston and plan to stay in Boston, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's funny. We, uh, we get asked that all the time. You know, where are you located? I would say even in the middle of winter, we're beautiful Boston, the palm trees, the, the beaches. No, I'm just kidding. It's always, it's just a great community here. Um, and whenever we have even thought about leaving Josh and I, um, which is very, very rarely. We say it's kind of like quicksand, just sucks you right back in. Um, but no, we love the community here. Just love the people here. The people on our team around just want to be a part of something. Um, and it's it's a great place to build a network, I think. And I think that's what we've been fortunate to to meet a lot of people that just want to help. That's what it comes down to. And just kind of going back to the the investors, is like Josh touched on, is these groups of circles you know, if you have 50 investors that are all ambassadors in different groups of circles, that adds up. Like those individual conversations with friends or secondary contacts that then become not only consumers, but ambassadors of the products, whether they're in New York, LA, Miami, like those add up. And I think that's what, even when we started raising our first round, that's what we didn't realize is all of those people that are on the team, even someone that wrote us a 10K check in 2019, like they have probably helped drive $10,000 worth of sales and just build the brand in their, their like little circle. 
So you guys touched on um, some pretty interesting Boston startups in the food and beverage space, right? Boston always has gotten a knock, probably more from Bostonians than anything that it doesn't do consumer per se. But, you know, you just mentioned a few different, um, you know, well-known consumer food brands with uh, Spindrift, with Yasso, with Stacy's Pita Chips, right? There's so many out there that, um, you know, the more you dig into it, it's really incredible what it's become. Um, you know, as you look at brand, how do you guys define brand and what does it mean to you? Brand is who we are, why we exist. It's like, why, <clears throat> why does the world need you, right? There's so many great options in every category. Why, why is someone that's not related to you or, uh, went to school with you? Why are, um, why are they going to consume your products? And one of our advisors actually um, is Lawrence Norman, who was the head of basketball for Adidas, and he came on the team. And I think that's what one of the things he was most excited about. I think we met by he DM'd Josh and I and said, uh, "I just saw Mark Cuban spit out your product. I need to be involved." <laughs> uh, and I think that as we grow, I think that every brand should have a purpose to to do more than just sell their product. And I think that's what we're starting to to evolve into is. We started as a, a healthier chocolate milk, and I think uh, no, we're evolving into a strength and energy brand. As we want to give people strength, whether that's physical, uh, when it comes to exercise, whether that's like you said before the call, um, like strength to to conquer the day, like literal, just like energy and strength. Um, and I think what we're moving towards is just giving people strength, um, and I think that's what's very exciting. And simultaneously, I think every startup founder has has. Um, an obligation to help with sustainability. And so we are in 100% recyclable cans. We actually are, we do have a goal to be a water neutral company. Right now, the only outside water our supply chain uses is to clean our machinery because when we ultra filter our milk, when we take the water out, we actually use it back on our family owned farms. Um, so I think there are a lot of moving pieces, but it, brand is who you are and why you exist. And you guys have, you know, you touched on sustainability there, um, plastic neutral, water neutral. How much, how difficult is all that to do? Is that kind of, you know, it's not just a commitment um, that you guys have made and verbalized, but it's authentically part of who you are and how you operate and how you do things. How much complexity do those things add to your operations and kind of getting things done? Yeah, it uh, it definitely it depends on the product. I think if uh, you know if we're if we're a water item, we're, we're using a lot of water, and so th there's no real way around that. Um, for us, milk just happens to be this uh, item that happens to be mostly water, and if we can strip some of the water out to be higher in protein, we just got to make sure we're using that water. Um, and I think that when Mandy and I first started this, people talked a lot about the sustain. We we very strongly believe in sustainability. But then folks were talking to us a lot about like, what else are you guys going to do for the world? Like from a nonprofit perspective. Um, and I think, you know, you look at the Bombas, you look at the Toms, the kind of buy one, give one model that early on for slate, there was so much education to be had on our actual product itself that felt somewhat inauthentic to then also have something in addition to what we're trying to actually create and, and give to the world with our product. And so we wanted to make sure that with a specific beverage, could we make the best positive impact on the world? And what we didn't even realize, and as we've gotten into this, is um, how many of the issues that people have with milk is simply treatment of the animals, 
the impact of, of water on the planet, the impact of methane that's going into the sky um, from the cows, and all of these just environmental issues. Um, and for us, as we've gotten further and further and started to kind of knock these issues down one at a time, uh, we've had a lot of farmers actually reach out to us, thanking us for, for taking on the challenge to um, bring milk back, back, milk back into the limelight um, and, and show people that it, it isn't all bad. And there's a lot of really great aspects of milk if you just make a few tweaks. Yeah. And people, you know, they want something better. And I think you guys are, you know, doing an incredible job playing on that um, around sustainability. It's becoming part of um, table stakes for any startup in food and beverage now, right? You've got to have authentically some part of your um, approach and reason for being and purpose has to be connected to, you know, saving the planet, um, giving back, things like that. Um, it's a little which, more costly, uh, which I realize I did not address. But yes, it definitely adds a little bit of cost to the to the brand. Um, but it, it's it's a it's a worthy cause of that cost, and it's not going to put us out of business by any means. And we think that if anything, it's it's an investment in the brand and in the future of of all of our supply chain. Yeah, and, and oh, as- yeah, like, before founders were people. We want like we're human beings, right? Like we want to help the planet. If the end goal for any founder is just to make a lot of money, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and no one's going to jump on that train. Like it's it's <clears throat> people. Because it all starts with with the team internally, right? It's hiring good people. And then they talk to other people. And you can feel it in the marketing too. Is are these good people? Or are they just trying to jam something down my throat? And I think that that's a lot of time what gets lost is before, like any business, before business, they're people. And if they're not good people, I think that that shows often through marketing. Yeah, you you know, your culture is showing is another thing that you see all the time, right? A lot of times, um, one of the ways, and you guys are living this firsthand, but so many of the other companies we've talked about um, have phenomenal cultures, right? And those cultures are authentic. They're real. They're not made up. They're not a PowerPoint slide. They're not a mission statement on a wall. They're values and a way that, you know, people do things, the way that people engage with each other, the way that they work together, you can't fake that. Um, and that's another kind of key to success that I've seen again and again and again and again, not just in startups, but actually kind of what brings larger organizations down is that they're unable to change, uh, the kind of inertia that their culture has created. Right. You guys must see that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think we real at least when, when we started, we didn't really understand culture, like what that meant because we were just unapologetically ourselves in meetings in like in partner conversations. Um, and then as we grew or as we've grown, we've realized that culture is extremely important and it's, it's just being authentically ourselves. And I think that Josh and I always joke, we're, we're awful managers Like we are not like, we don't manage people. We have people that work like, I, we feel like everyone kind of works with us, right? It's like, there obviously is some sort of hierarchy, but uh, we all work together and, but we don't manage people. We just empower them to do what they, they can do, do everything they can do to succeed. And we always, when we interview people, we say that you're basically going to be an entrepreneur working for Slate, running your own little business, whether it's an area sales manager and your job is just to sell Slate in your area or whether it's um, our e-com manager who's actually Josh's old college roommate, whether it's our brand manager who's actually my older brother, right? And it's just 
you're running your own little business in your alley for Slate. And if you ever need help, we're here. But I think what we try to do is just empower people to, to do it the best they can. And if they have questions, reach out. And if you fail, you fail. But just give it all you got and we're here for you. And I think that's kind of the culture, the like strength empowerment culture that we're trying to create. And I think that um, it's been well received. And I think that's how we're going to continue to grow our culture. It's also a way you attract people, right? There's a war for talent out there and Definitely. people want to be part of that type of thing. Um, I can say, you know, knowing you guys now for five or six years, you haven't changed at all from day one other than, you know, a few more rings on the tree. Um, <laughs> um, and, you know, the success you've had over the last few years, which is phenomenal, but you're still yourselves and you haven't changed at all. And that's also a you know, another thing I look for with successful startups is, you know, have the founders kind of changed? Have they, you know, um, gotten inflated egos through the success? Um, have they remained humble? Are their feet still on the ground? Right. You know, things like that. Um, and I love when people, you know, just are authentically who they are and they don't change that. I think it's, it's contagious. Josh always says, even to investors, we try to be the stupidest people in the room. We will hire people smarter than us. And <laughs> it's true. It's, it's what we do is we hire people that are better than us at, at what they do. And we want to we want to be able to be dangerous at everything in case we need to help or in case something, you know, someone moves on, which we, you know, our goal is to, to retain every single one of our employees and help them move upwards in the company. Like that is our goal is find people. When we talk to people is, is where do they want to be in five, 10 years? Uh, whether it's first late or someone else, we always say that. Um, and it's just, again, being unapologetically ourselves uh, and it's, it's worked so far. It's not the, the way that everyone does it, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I think is is number one is we're having fun. That's an amazing mindset and a, you know, great way to be. Um, so slate for you guys, isn't your first rodeo, right? As, uh, Josh Matt mentioned before, um, he started with, you know, the artist formerly known as venture app that, you know, now is known as HQO and Manny, you had a college marketing business, right? With Repper. Yeah. So uh, right after college, my older brother, who had actually is now part of the Slate team, and myself, I always joke, I had, I've had the best co-founders in the world. I worked with my older brother, and then I worked with my buddy. Uh, but so that was probably about a year to a year and a half of learning. It's startup tech space. Um, we grew a college marketing platform that connected college students slash brand ambassadors and businesses. It's an idea that they're looking back on it now. A lot of people launched the same type of company, but... It, it kind of got me, it was connected to Josh and myself, but it got me to where I am today. And that was, you know, I, would I call it a fail necessarily? I don't know. It was almost like failing forward or just like a learning experience. It was like a real world MBA. We were able to, to sell the assets to a college agency. Um, but it wasn't like a home run. I'm not going to go retire in, in Cabo, right? So I think that it, Josh and Josh can talk about himself, but both of our experiences allowed us to learn the startup space, learn more not, or learn what not to do more than what to do. Um, and then when we went out and raised, understand how to have those fundraising conversations early on and how to frame the business. And I think that uh, we were both in this unique situation where we still had everything to prove and we still have everything to prove, but we had done it before and, and gone through a lot of the, the failures. Skinned your knees and oh, broke yeah. some broke some elbows and things like that, right? What about Josh? You've always worked. I you know know from your background, you kind of hustled from the earliest days, and you've always had kind of an entrepreneurial gene. Uh, yeah, I, I I caddied when I was eight years old. I, I, I'm still not sure if that was my idea or my dad's idea, but getting out there, I caught the bug pretty early. I uh, I am a 
I don't even know how old am I, 26-year-old man trapped in a, I think, 65-year-old man's body. My favorite singer is Bruce Springsteen. I get that all the time, that I'm basically the dad of the group, uh, no matter where I am. And I think that just came by when I was young, hanging out with guys that were way older than me, um, <clears throat> caddying. And then as I got into college, I, I joined up with two other guys that were starting an energy bar company, stay up till two in the morning, just cooking up energized uh, ener energy bars that actually had coffee in them. And learned a lot about just the, the general hustling and food landscape, slinging the, the energy bars ourselves. And then towards the end of college, was uh, lucky enough to meet the, the Venture App team. And something that, like Manny said, learned a lot about what to do wrong um, and a lot of things that I, I really appreciated. And, and what Manny and I have tried to do at Slate is just take pages out of playbooks of companies that we want to emulate. And I think that, you know, we take a page from this company of like, they did this really, really well, but like not this. And then we'll take this from this company and just keep trying to take those pieces. Uh, and, and the biggest takeaway from the venture app, what is now HQO is, I mean, we'll be the first to admit we went through three, four business models and it was just the grit of, of us against the world. I think that culture and the team that was involved in those organizations is we just willed it to happen. And that, that will to make it happen is contagious and will stay with me for the rest of my life. And I think that we have that similar mentality at Slate where if something isn't going to get done, we're going to will it to happen. Our, our head of sales has a saying that he says to us all the time was, this isn't normal, this doesn't happen. Says that to Manny and I on a weekly basis. And it's just because we try to will things to happen. And it's we're not going to run through as many brick walls as we can to make it happen. And of course, we're not going to get most of the things we're reaching for. But if you keep reaching for them, we, we've been lucky enough to get a couple of wins. That's amazing. I mean, I love the idea of looking to others for inspiration and learnings and lessons, right? The whole you know point of this podcast is to expose people and introduce people to inspiring companies, inspiring brands, inspiring leaders, founders that they might not have heard of, and also really talk about their journey and how they got to where they are. Um, you know, the kind of inspiring idea is something that really comes out of these. Um, what's kind of what's next for you guys? What's the big goal over the next year or three years, as you've talked about being deliberate and very, very focused? Yeah. So I think the end goal this year, like sales aside, we have, we have sales goals. But um, the end goal this year is to be in the top of every set that we are currently selling in. Right? We don't want to add too many new retailers. Uh, on e-commerce, we just want to improve all our numbers. We want our lifetime value to go up. We want our average order value to go up. Um, we want our uh, cost per uh, acquisition to go up. Um, and then I think the long-term goal is to create a brand that people consume every day. And today, again, we're in the, <clears throat> the chocolate milk space or the, the single-serve functional space. We think there's a lot of opportunity to, to grow off our brand platform, right? We always say that, well... You know, if you're you're creating a, an iced tea, it's hard to to go wide on what you can create. You're not going to create like iced tea popsicles. But our brand is we have this. We're 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 a fitness brand selling on grocery aisles, right? And I think there's a lot of space in the grocery store to grow a, a fitness brand, and that's not in the nutrition section. That's actually in the grocery aisles. Um, but you know, when we talk about what success looks like, we get this question often, and it's different for everyone. First and foremost, it starts with our people. If we can retain our people and our people, like our team members, our employees are enjoying what they're doing, they're thriving, then that, again, is contagious and, and will start to, to spread through uh, the people that they talk to in their network. And we just want to make sure, first and foremost, our employees are taken care of, they're enjoying what they're doing, and we're adding more great people to our team. And then long term, 
And I think every beverage company should have the same goal, be the biggest beverage company in the country. Because that's, we should all be striving for that same thing. Um, and we're not looking at others and what they're selling for or what they're selling. It's staying in our lane, focusing on how we can do the best we can do. And then like, as cliche as it is, like every year, every month, like be better. And I think that's a lot of like our mentality. And, and you know, we joked about that, um, <clears throat> that video of, of me yelling at chocolate milk. It's you can be better. But that really is our mentality is just being better, making better products, being better for the planet. Um, bettering our employees and, and our team members. Um, so that's that's the goal. Being better in a an optimistic way, not you suck, you have to be better, right? That's a it's entirely a mindset, um, but also a glasses half full, not glass half empty approach. And that's that's cultural, but that's also you know comes from founders and authenticity and you know who you really are. Um, as we look at inspiration and kind of, you know, things that you guys look to for lessons and inspiration, who, you know, what inspires you? Who are leaders that you follow? Uh, what are blogs you read, brands you love, products that you can't live without, things like that? It's, you know, we talk about Stu. He's, he's been someone we look up to and all of our investors, advisors. Um, I, I mean, it's listening to startup stories. Hearing about what people did wrong in their startup adventure, I think, has been the most beneficial to us. And a lot of those are the individual conversations because that's where you really hear what went wrong because uh, sometimes you just can't disclose it publicly. Um, but it's just listen to as many startup stories as you can. Talk to as many startup founders as you can. Um, that's what it comes down to. I love that beginner's mind. Again, another massive key to success and kind of a common thread I see through successful entrepreneurs again and again. Uh, well, you guys, you know, thank you for the time today. You are definitely um, people who I would call agents of innovation. Uh, you have been from the start. You, you know, continue to be today and I'm excited to follow your journey. Appreciate you guys coming on. And, you know, for the listeners, you can find Slate Milk at slatemilk.com and on social media at at Slate Milk. Um, Josh Belinsky, Manny Lubin, you guys have been awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, man. Hey, this is Dave Kniece, the host and creator of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. And please reach out if I can help you. You can get me at dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. Again, dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. Thanks again for listening.